Hello, hello, welcome. It is the EPL show once again on this Thursday evening, in fact. My name is Oscar Rutherford. I'm joined tonight by Josh Parrish and, of course, virtually Nick Hughes. How are you both tonight, gentlemen? I'm doing well, Oscar. Good to see you back. Good to have this show back. We've had a couple of weeks off, so there's actually a lot to discuss. A lot happened in English football since we were last on. There have been many things that have gone on across many teams across the league. Nick, how are you? How are you feeling tonight? I'm doing well. I'm feeling good. Um, Like Josh said, it's uh, good to be back on the EPL show train. Uh, And bang on couple of weeks off and uh, it seems like it was the, the worst couple of weeks to miss because coaching changes, multiple competitions. We've had a cup final, FA Cup games, Champions League games um, and all sorts uh, going on, on and off the pitch. So looking forward to uh, unpacking it all with you guys from uh, the comfort of my bedroom. Yes, and P- producer Pakua has already insisted, Nick, that I that I quiz you on your choice of shirt for this evening. Uh, she's very proud, very excited. I think. Uh, okay, do you ha- do you have an explanation or, or or a reason tonight to be wearing what appears to be an Arsenal top? Um, well, I'll start by saying producer Pakua um, is apparently keen to. Um, come on the show uh, at, at the end of the hour to talk about Arsenal. And I look forward to reminding her uh, of how much uh, hate she gave her own club uh, <laughs> and, and how, how much I tried to convince her um, that the future was going to be bright at the Emirates. Um, so before she starts uh, engaging in any sort of gloating, uh, I'd just like to get that in first. Um, the no story. scenes when Nick stands up and reveals it's actually Rotherham jersey or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is Arsenal. Uh, proof. Um, <laughs> no story behind that. I, I think, honestly, I think this is the most attractive home jersey in Premier League history. I absolutely loved Ooh, it when it was a released. Big call. <laughs> that is a um, big call. I uh, and I love Gabriel Martinelli, who is uh, is on the back of the shirt. I think he's a, a huge talent. Uh, I was looking in the drawer, deciding which one to wear, and I thought um, Gunners are up and about a little bit. Had a, a nice win against uh, Watford over the weekend. Martinelli scored a, a lovely goal. All, all of the goals in that game were lovely, to be honest, uh, from both sides. And, um, yeah, just felt like a, a fitting one to chuck on. Well, look, as you said, Pakua will perhaps be joining us at the end of the show, <laughs> so we'll probably talk more about Arsenal then because, shockingly, Pakua apparently has some strong opinions on these matters. So <laughs> we, we, we may well be able to, to be enlightened as to some of those later on in the show. But to start, Nick, you alluded to the fact that lots has happened in the last two weeks. Josh, you did too. So mm. many things have happened. Uh, perhaps if I were to choose to start at what I think is the most significant thing that we've seen the last couple of weeks is that Leeds sacked Marcelo Bielsa. They brought in Jesse Marsh. It's a, it's a, it's a new world at Elland Road. Josh, what are your thoughts and what have you made of it so far? What did you think of the sacking, all of the above? I I think the outpouring of emotion for Bielsa has been unlike anything I've ever seen for a manager, Uh, maybe since Sir Alex Ferguson retired at Manchester United. It's been unbelievable. All the Leeds fans, unanimous in their their love for him, not only as a coach, but as a person, the way he seemed to be so humble. There's these stories about him always, you know, greeting and, and chatting to people or taking a photo. Um, he apparently lived above a candy shop or something mm. in, in Leeds in this humble dwelling where he's just a whole lot of like just just 
him in a dark room basically watching match footage obsessively. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's such a character. I think it's uh, a blessing that we've seen him in the Premier League. I think it's a little bit harsh in some ways, uh, the the fact that he's been dispensed with so unceremoniously and there's been some Leeds fans upset by that, especially given the injury troubles they've had. Mm. But if you look at the other side of the coin, perhaps you can argue that the injury issues are actually the result of his kind of brutal uh, methods over the course of his tenure. Um, and the fact that these players are breaking down is is no uh, is really no coincidence. But then you look at the manager they brought in to replace him in Jesse Marsh, who comes from the Red Bull Leipzig school of run, 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 press, 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 counter, counter, counter. I don't think that's necessarily going to help that. Mm. So that, for me, doesn't line up logically from from the club. Uh, but, yeah, I'm sad sad to see him go. Yuzi? Yeah, I think he's – you're right, Josh. He's certainly seen as a, a, a sort of messiah, uh, if you like, around Leeds there. I think one of my favourite – uh, images or, or just pieces of football content in general is that photo of him in the supermarket aisle in his full Leeds tracksuit after a after a match, just pushing his trolley around like you know, like you you go down to your local grocery and see all the nonni with their trolleys. He just looked to to, to fit in perfectly. Um, he clearly had a, a massive contribution first and foremost to the community um, in Leeds and. Um, you know, he'll ultimately be remembered as the manager that got them back up after, I don't know how many years it was off the top of my head, but probably approaching 20 years since they were relegated from the Premier League. Um, and uh, he'll undoubtedly always be loved. Um, I was surprised that they chose to sack him before season's end. There was plenty of talk in really only a couple of weeks before it happened that uh, his contract was up at the end of the season and it wasn't going to be renewed and, and they would be parting ways anyway. So I was surprised that they got rid of him early. I thought they might have um, had a bit of faith in him to to maybe just keep them up and then maybe in the off-season go in a different direction. Uh, but I don't think you can argue really with the premise of him getting sacked, particularly given the his last two results were a 6-0 defeat and a 4-0 defeat. Yes, 6-0 away to Liverpool uh, and, and 4-0 against Tottenham, who, I mean, depends what kind of Tottenham you get on on any given day, I guess. But, you know, they're currently two points off the relegation zone, uh, five wins in, in 27 games. It, it's been a grim season. You you absolutely cannot argue with that. Loads of conjecture about uh, Bielsa's you know, training regime and, and whether or not it is you know, forcing those injuries as well. It's curious to me, Bielsa, because he's got this reputation around the world of being this incredible coach. And, you know, you you hear the likes of Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, and Mauricio Pochettino, I think, has weighed in. And and loads of other people saying that, you know, he was a a big role model for them and um, they, they really learned a lot and took a lot of his philosophy into their own coaching. But when you look at his coaching history, it's really, it's just not that much to go off. He hasn't won much in terms of, in fact, he's won uh, an Olympic gold medal and the championship with Leeds, um, Olympic gold medal with Argentina, of course, not with Leeds. Um, and you look at some of his other gigs, 12 games at Espanyol, uh, 41 games at Marseille, uh, three days at Lazio, mm-hmm. 14 games at Lille, um, 
a 1.42 points per game average uh, over 113 games at Athletic Bilbao. Like, is he actually that good of a coach? I don't even, I don't really understand. Um, look, I'm going to, the thing with Bielsa, I, I find, is that, you know, we talk about how beloved he is, particularly within the Leeds community. You know, he's become this, you know, grandfather of West Yorkshire. He's, he's, he's got mm-hmm. this, this almost cult around him. The thing, and people from the outside love to talk about Bielsa and Bielsa's game style. It's really entertaining to watch and providing great entertainment value. But the thing that I think gets lost amongst that is the results that Bielsa got with Leeds are outrageous. Like that was a team that was stuck in the lower reaches, well, not in the lower reaches, but predominantly in the second division of English football for such a long time. And they had manager after manager who got close but couldn't get them over the line. And then he came in and and he's taken them not just from a mid-table championship club but to a to a mid-table Premier League club in his first season. And then even this season, Josh, you mentioned the injuries, mm. particularly to Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford. I mean, that's so crippling to the to that team and the system that they play. You know, the four one four one. If you lose the two ones, mm. you kind of you've lost the links between the whole team. Yep. So I don't think it's surprising that that losing those two players has had the impact that it has. That I mean, I understand the argument which says maybe that's a product of the way Bielsa plays. And in fact, it quite likely is. But I don't think that changes the fact that Bielsa's results, what he actually did, how, how, where he actually took that club, are remarkable. And I don't think that gets enough attention compared to, to how good of a game style it is to watch. I think also there's awards for at a team level and individual level there's results but there's also your contribution to I guess football history and tactics and the way that your team's approach has influenced other managers because Bielsa is a is a purist and he is an ideologue in the way his football is played perhaps more so than any other coach we've seen in the modern era uh, so that has come with certain trade-offs. You know, he's he's walked out of clubs, as you mentioned, um, when things haven't been right, when he when he's decided that he's not going to get things his way, he's not going to be able to implement his style. He's just walked out, you know, broken contracts, et cetera, and so on. You know, he's clashed personality-wise with various owners and players. Uh, he's taken his ideas to their logical extreme and and perhaps – you know, this, the legacy of other coaches seeing his teams in action and, and taking inspiration from them is more significant than what any of his teams have done. But to defend his record for a moment, I mean, Athletic Bilbao, they were runner-up in the Copa del, in the Copa del Rey and in the Europa League, which for that side at the time was unheard of. And they went to Old Trafford when Manchester United was still good, you know, and <laughs> and played them off the park. And no one had ever really seen that before from a side of that that stature at Old Trafford. You know, that was incredible. And uh, coaches around the world <laughs> will use that example and that footage. I mean, I know Ange Postacogli, for example, has taken a lot of inspiration from that game specifically. Uh, the Chile side that he coached, he took them to greater heights than they'd ever been. And after he left, they basically kept playing the same way and they won multiple mm, Copa Americas. America. Yeah. So it, they didn't win it with him in charge necessarily, but they basically just continued the process that he started and the ideas that he implemented and they won they won silverware that they you know never dreamed of. So I, I think you know his legacy 
uh, is maybe not represented in the trophies that he's won over the course of his career. And you think of the the amount of coaches who've uh, paid tribute to him and the way his ideas have influenced football at the top level as it is played now, when you think of the best teams in the world, such as Liverpool and Manchester City, I don't think those teams necessarily play that way. You know, the extreme pressing and mm. the extreme uh, commitment to playing out from the back with short, sharp passes. I don't, I don't think those ideas necessarily are prevalent at the top level of football if Bielsa's not, you know, if he doesn't exist, if his impact isn't felt. Mm. Yeah, fair call. I mean, I, I generally was like mm. posing the question to... I think it's to, a good question to ask. To talk about that, Nick, yeah. No, no, no. I, <laughs> no, no. I, I think, I think it's a, it's, not at all. It's not, it's not a simple argument. I'm sure no. there's, there's plenty of ways you could yeah. refute that, but mm. that's, that's where I, I stand on it. And I think, no, I, you know, maybe his, his time was up at, at Leeds, that group of players had given all they had to give, but you look at the, they turned this, this team of no hopers essentially into a promotion side missing out heartbreakingly in one playoff um, series and then getting promoted the next year uh, without really signing anybody. Like if you look at the amount of signings he made, he just basically signed a couple of players and then worked with the existing group he had there. And, you know, no one would have thought that someone like Stuart Dallas was going to be a Premier League caliber utility player all over the park. You know, there's, there's players, there's plenty of examples in that lead side where he's elevated their level to such an extent that, you know, I don't think any conventional manager coming into that job would have thought this group of players is good enough to get me to mid-table in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a, a, a true call. And, I mean, perhaps, you know, obviously, and, and like I said as well, he, he clearly did a fantastic job, um, certainly in the beginning, and, and will always be remembered as the guy that got leads back to the Premier League. But perhaps, um, you know, if you look at it that way, perhaps there was... Um, a level that he reached with the lead squad that, you know, whether or not Jesse Marsh can can push that level further forward, I guess will remain to be seen. But perhaps he sort of found that within the playing squad that that was the the sort of peak or, or just about the peak that they could reach. And, um, you know, it, I guess it, it does seem from a football point of view, it does seem that it, it might have been time to part ways. One, one more thing that I'll, I'll sort of question um uh, around him is the like obviously uh, appreciate you know the, the entertaining nature and that revolutionary style of the the manic pressing and the the man on man essentially um um or man marking uh, across the pitch but to me there's there's times where that sort of thing is just naive uh, I, I totally understand like you back your principles and you, you play your style and you, um, you know, coach your players in your style and and you stick by that. But when you're losing four nil to Liverpool, there's a time where, Oh, I mean, maybe not, maybe if it's four nil, you just say, Oh, screw it. We're going to concede more anyway. But that Liverpool game for a couple of weeks ago, the amount of goals and chances that were created from Mane, who was playing as the center forward, just dropping into the space Pascal Stroik is following him because he's man marking because that's how they play. The one team that you cannot give space to is Liverpool. And I, I was baffled that they didn't at least slightly tweak how they were defending in that, in that game because they just left acres and acres of space for Salah, Mane, 
Um, I can't remember. I, I assume probably Jota was playing. Um, well, I mean, that's D- why they call him a loco. Yeah. I can't remember. That's that's why he's different. Is because he he is, as I said, like an ideologue. He doesn't compromise. You know, any other coach at at their core, at their heart, is a pragmatist who will say damage limitation at a certain point. Bielsa never says that, and maybe that's prevented him from reaching the very top of the game. Maybe that maybe that's yeah. what it is. But I think it's also made his legacy and his playing style resonate more with with mm. other younger coaches who've, who've you know, because if he was willing to, you know, put 11 men behind the ball once he's 4-0 down against Manchester City and not, and not cop two more, uh, I don't necessarily know whether his principles would have resonated to such an extent. He would have become in any other manager. Yeah, you're right. Like it just—it doesn't look good, and it eventually gets you sacked, and it has everywhere he's gone. But yeah, and mm. I mean the defining feature of Leeds in these last couple of months, the the the, the final games under Bielsa was how much space they left for teams, mm. kind of how vulnerable they looked. And you know, you look through their season, you know, they lost four nil to Spurs, six nil to Liverpool, four two to United, conceded three to Villa, lost three nil to Everton. To Everton, it's madness. Mm. <laughs> but what I'm struck by is, and you look back to a, a few weeks before that, the seven nil loss to Man City, where they were just so comprehensively beaten, they were so far off the pace, and it just looked like a complete mess. It was like, what, what could possibly be the plan here? What could possibly go right? And, you know, you contrast that, though, to how they did last season and they beat Man City last beat, season. Exactly. You kind of, it's this, you know, which, as Josh says, it's this this idealism, this all-or-nothing approach of if it works, it's brilliant and if it doesn't, we'll get battered. But that's what, I guess, is so endearing about someone who's so committed to his principles, to someone who's so willing to, to live or die by that same sword. And that was really the defining feature of the Bielsa years at Leeds, I thought. I think it also says something about our mentality when we look at football and results and the sort of risk-averse nature of most observers and most fans even. Because three points is supposed to be the, I guess, the incentive to attack and to take risks and try and win games and not draw them. Uh, but I think psychologically uh, losing two games and winning one feels worse than drawing all three, even though it's the same points. And yes. you know, it leads copying so many goals and losing in the manner that they have has, I guess, damaged Bielsa's reputation in the eyes of the, the owners at Leeds specifically and also across the, the opinion of him across the Premier League because the manner in which they lost, whereas goal difference... You know, it doesn't usually make it... It's not usually a deciding factor as to whether you get relegated or not. So, you know, maybe taking a more conservative approach, they might have picked up a point here and there or lost by two goals fewer, but maybe they don't beat West Ham 3-2 in that crazy swashbuckling game. So I also think psychologically it's a difficult... Uh, thing to process as a as a fan or as an observer when you when you see them getting tonked every week they will squeak out the occasional win because they're taking more risks than other teams in their position would but it feels worse because you're copying so many goals on a week-to-week basis it's hard to cope with yeah that's that's another good point and I 100% agree I, I always have that thought about the um, the the credit we give as just the general football fans to sort of being unbeaten. Like, you know, you mm. can be unbeaten and have five draws in a row or win two and lose three. You've got more points with two wins than five draws. 
And it's that's um, why so, the Arsenal Invincibles record is kind of nonsense because exactly. there have been many teams that have broken the points record. That is objectively yep. a better outcome. But yep. the fact that they're invincible and they're in the, the only team is uh, somehow placed above that for, for whatever for whatever psychological reason. I'd just like to confirm that 100%. no one in this vicinity has voiced any dissent to that position, Josh. Like, like, you know, like <laughs> Definitely that, haven't had that, any protests in our that, ears that's from that's our producer. That's a universally agreed upon opinion, I think, yeah, <laughs> Not, with, without any hesitation at all. Well, um, you go, Nick. Sorry, maybe, maybe the last thing I wanted to bring up um, with Leeds is you mentioned particularly in the championship that they didn't sign too many players. Obviously, with the Premier League comes more money, comes the need to strengthen... And I think you look at the recruitment in some areas. Rafinha's obviously been great, although seemed to sort of slow down whether or not there was a falling out or some fitness issues uh, towards the end of the Bielsa reign. We're not sure, but he's been fantastic. Rodrigo, they spent a fair bit of money on him. He hasn't really done anything great. Um, Junior Firpo, granted he was a backup left back and a young left back coming from Barcelona, but I don't think he's done very well. Diego Llorente, the same. I don't think he's done very well in defense as well. So I don't think they've recruited particularly well, mm. which has, has probably, you know, been another uh, reason for. Yeah. I don't know, think they've built any downfall. depth and the fact that they've had yeah, those injuries yeah. in key positions means they haven't been able to, to cope with the absence of Phillips, I think, in particular. And yeah. we know that that's the Bielsa Trust, the select few players that he likes to go to. Look, we should go to a break in a second just to make a final... I'll, I'll make two really quick final points. Firstly, to mention Jesse Marsh's side looked a lot more solid on the mm. weekend mm. against Leicester. You know, had the, the, the compact players in front of the ball, the two defensive midfielders protecting the four. That looked good. They played on the counter, which used the pace of Jack Harrison and Rafinha and, and the like. Um, and then just the final thing, just if there's nothing else to credit Bielsa with, he's turned Patrick Bamford into a decent <laughs> Premier League striker, which five yeah. years ago would have been beyond ludicrous to suggest. Mm. And I, like, just that that's wild that he's done that. So, I, you know, I think Bielsa has certainly left his mark on the Premier League. But Interesting with Marsh taking over. Uh, how will the English press treat him? Are we going to have a Bob Bradley 2.0 when they, where they yeah. make fun of him for calling it a PK instead yeah. of a penalty kick? <laughs> but he learned I, like that, I like that interview that he gave about the, the perception of American coaches and he said Ted Lasso probably probably didn't help, and <laughs> but no, I, I um I uh, I I love Je- I mean I say I love Jesse Marsh. I obviously didn't watch much way. much Austrian Bundesliga when he was at Salzburg, and and I didn't watch uh, really any Bundesliga when he was at RB, uh, RB Leipzig. But when Salzburg uh, played Liverpool in the the group stages, um, of course there was that video that came out of him sort of swapping between German and English in the change room and doing a bit of the you know, Mourinho or Pep, you know, sort of dancing in the, um, the uh, along the, the change room and being very animated. He's a young coach that, you know, that Salzburg team, I guess in a way is, is sort of one of those countries like you. Well, it's a one team league. Let's, let's. Yeah. I was, I was going to say like your Netherlands, but I mean, you still got PSV and, and others behind Ajax, but yeah. So Salzburg are, are very clearly the, the strongest team in Austria, but in particular under Jesse Marsh, they um, really, really dominated that league. We know they're a talent farmer, young players. Um, you look at uh, Erling Haaland, of course, Pats and Daka, uh, Takumi Minamino uh, coming out of there and, and plenty more to come. Kareem Adeyemi is a, a massive talent as well. 
unfortunately. Obviously didn't, speaking didn't help of Salzburg, them against Bayern this morning. Yeah, they <laughs> got absolutely slaughtered by Bayern Munich yesterday. Yesterday, but, sorry. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing um, seeing Jesse Marsh coming in. Uh, and my only hope is that he doesn't uh, coax his old friend Takumi Minamino uh, away from Liverpool and bring him to Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we'll have to head for a short break, but we'll see you guys very soon.